What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. This is True to You Chats with Casey Brown. If you don't know who I am, if you're new here, thank you so much for checking it out. I'm a personal trainer. I am a social media personnel. <laughs> been doing it for a long time. I am a blogger at powercakes.net. Been doing that for a long time, about 10 years or so, maybe more. I got to go back and like really see the date I started, but I'm pretty sure it was 2010. And on this podcast, we have amazing guests that are just true to themselves in the fitness and wellness space. And I love to share their stories and connect because I really think that no matter if you've gone through what any of these people have gone through or it, you know, your story can be very different, yet we are all dealing with a lot of the same things and we can learn from each other. So in today's episode, I'm so excited. I've got Dr. Robin Hornstein, and I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right, but she is the senior clinical director um, at HPA Counseling and Wellness. She's a psychologist, health coach, and an inclusive therapist. She was uh, connected to me through my girl Jordan, who was from a earlier podcast. If you want to check Jordan's podcast out, she was my high school soccer captain that dealt with anxiety behind the scenes, and um, her story is pretty amazing. Well, it's really amazing, but she is uh, connected with Robin, who therefore uh, connected, Jordan connected me and Robin together, saying we should definitely connect. Robin has a big history with eating disorders as well as myself, but our conversation was not heavy at all. It was so light and honestly, the most intriguing part of the conversation, which I couldn't wait to ask Robin about, was being a therapist during a pandemic, right? So for the first time in a long time, she's dealing with the same things that her clients are dealing with. So not only is she working and navigating through her journey during this time, but she's also being a support and a counselor and a psychologist for her clients during that time. And she said the only other time she can remember that being the case was during 9-11. And it was just such an interesting conversation. We talked about her history, um, her upbringing, what molded her with her anxiety and her um, disordered eating at a younger age and how she was able to turn it around and be a psychologist and be a support for other people. So she is just a little ball of light. I love her. Actually, she's a big ball of light. She was just full of so much love. Um, I could talk to her all day. We really enjoyed our time together. So you will get a lot out of this episode. So make sure to follow her. I will put all of her information below and we will see you in the next episode. Love you guys. recording to the computer awesome so hi i'm casey hi casey i'm robin nice to nice see to meet you, you. Meet you. Yes. yes i'm so excited for this so i um i always go back before the episodes and i do like an intro um after we're done kind of take into account everything we've talked about um just about you kind of give the resume beforehand but obviously uh would love to start by saying that uh, for those that have been listening to the podcast, um, Jordan, who, and she did experience, she did, uh, tell us in our email how we know each other, but I just wanted to reiterate how amazing she is. So Jordan was, I believe, oh my gosh, maybe my like sixth episode or something. She's like way back in the beginning. Um, I knew I wanted to have Jordan on like 
there was anyone that I knew in my personal life, I was like, Jordan needs to be on this podcast. So Jordan was my high school soccer captain. So we played on the same high school soccer team together. Yeah. And she of course was the captain of the team. If you're, if you're shocked, right. She was, um, such a leader at that age. She was a couple years older than me, um, in, in high school. And we, and I talk about this in that episode, but none of us knew Jordan had any type of mental health struggles. It, It just, it, she never, you just would never guess. Right. And then in the middle of one of our soccer games, she had a panic attack and ended up running off the field. Our coach ran, her mom came down the stands. It was like this whole shocking moment because nobody really knew that Jordan even struggled at all. And so we talked about it in that podcast. And, um, for those that, that don't know, Jordan launched, um, the Corcoran collective, which is so perfect for her. And she's got these amazing clients. And one of them is Robin, who's with us today. And, Jordan called me a week ago and once we just kind of, we were touching base on social media and she called or she texted me. She's like, we have to, we have to touch base. Like I have amazing people. I want you to bring onto the podcast. And, and I just, you know, and we ended up being on the phone for 45 minutes and it was everything I didn't know I needed that night. Like she just was so just was such an ear to listen to or to, to listen to me. I didn't even realize I needed to get things off my chest and there it went, you know, and, um, she's just unbelievable. So Robin is, uh, for those that are listening, um, Dr. Robin, I want to make sure I say your last name, right? So can you pronounce it for me? Hornstein. Hornstein. Okay. I was nervous. I'm like, I don't want to say Hornstein. I'm sure you get it all the time. Hornstein. Stein. Okay. So Dr. Robin Hornstein is with us today and long story short, which is not, I'm not good at, I'm good at long story longer. Um, she is one of Jordan's, um, clients in her new Corcoran collective and how she's helping just like, we are such connectors, right? And I just love to meet people. And selfishly, that's why I wanted to start this podcast. Cause it was like, I just want to meet awesome people and share their stories. And and everyone, like I want everyone to come on the podcast, no matter what your background is. Like it, I just, mental health is such a topic that has been a part of my life since I was 10 years old and we can get into that. But, um, you know, I'm a personal trainer full time and mental health is, if not more than, you know, 80% of what I do, even though I'm, I'm working people out and I'm in the gym with them. And so that's why this podcast for me, I didn't want it to be just fitness related because fitness is a piece of our whole well being. And so I think that, um, you know, bringing people on with awesome stories and backgrounds is just connecting to more people. So Robin, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm excited too. So give us a little bit about who you are. I know from obviously doing my research and what Jordan has, I wish I could post like Jordan's email to the two of us. It was the most like, I loved it. Beautiful, like rundown of like who we are and who you are. And I'm like, Oh my God, Jordan, you're so good. But, um, give us just a little, like, you know, like a LinkedIn version of what you do, who you are. And then I want to be able to, to really dive in deep with a couple different things here. Sure. Okay. So I don't know. This this could take us forever because I love know, it. Like my favorite therapy book I ever read was called Every Person's Life is Worth a Novel. 
So um, yeah, it is, right? Um, I am a licensed psychologist. I am a certified health coach. I am a certified um, life coach now. And I have been working in the field for uh, 38 years. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I was a teacher. And I, you know, I came to therapy and learning about therapy through my own therapy, obviously, like therapy, and, and I require all therapists I hire to have had therapy. So mm-hmm. that's basic. Um, I am the co-owner of Hornstein Platinum Associates, which is in Philadelphia and surrounding suburbs. We have about 50 therapists and prescribing clinicians. So we've got nurse practitioners and psychiatrists, and we focus on the community. Like, and we take insurance. So we want to give back to, to the people that you know, in our, live in Philadelphia in the, in the suburbs. Right. Um, and we have a very diverse and interesting group of providers. And I love my work. My biggest focus is anxiety and eating disorders, which <laughs> you said, ah, when I ah, said that. So, yeah, I was like, that's, hello, welcome to Casey's novel. But yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's true for so many like women and people who identify as women, right? There is a very strong connection between anxiety, body image, body, you know, eating disorders. And I think it's so built into the system to have, you know, both the yo-yo diet culture all over us and also just the sense of, you know, what does it mean to have a body and what should it look like? You know, as if that is like a topic that the, the, the greater masses should determine as opposed to us living in our bodies and not being obsessed with every single, you know, freckle and size and shape. So that's yes. my passion. Oh my gosh. I'm like the whole time. I always say my neck always hurts. Cause I'm like, yes, yes. Every time someone comes on, I just get so like pumped up and it's like, it's, and that's what Jordan and I had discussed. She's like, you know, you're going to bring Dr. Robin on and she's just going to be able to bring this light to such a topic that is, um, you know, for me, something that I have been, uh, it's been a part of my journey since I was 10 years old. And so, well, I mean, if we're really being honest, since I was, before I was brought into this world, like I remember, um, going to therapy at a, I've been going to therapy since I was 10, but I, uh, at a very young age, you know, and, and there's a whole podcast on my, my whole story. We don't have to get back into because people have heard it, but we can do little pieces here. Um, you know, I was young and dealing, we moved and I was dealing with anxiety for the first time, like in front of my face and was struggling with, um, controlling my food and my timing of my food. And, at the time at 10 years old, it wasn't about body image. It, it, I didn't even remember looking in the mirror at that time, but it was more of, um, just, you you know, my anxiety working through what I was controlling in my life. And I was like, well, I would hear different things and I would hear Oprah say something and I would hear, you know, whatever, say something on TV. And all of a sudden I'm making myself wait a certain amount of hours to eat my food and spacing things out. And, Anyway, so when I was really young, I had to learn things that the kids on the playground weren't even thinking about, right? And so I just feel like such a big part of who we are is what we've been through. And 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 for you, I love that, you know, your therapists have to have gone to therapy because if I always say I would never be able to help anybody if 
if I didn't, if, if it didn't come from my personal experience, you know, it's like our personal experience is such a huge part of who we are. So I'm curious, do you, did you yourself struggle with any kind of eating disorder? I know you're like laughing, like, are you ready for the book? So I'm curious, where's your background with, with that? And what brought you to that as your passion? Well, it's interesting you say that because I am just finishing a book um, that I've written and is should be coming out soon, which is how I got to Jordan because I was working with this incredible, incredible editor, Amanda Filippelli, who said, you have to meet my friend Jordan and Jordan, yes. you know, everybody sort of like has been so supportive. And in that, I do start with the story of the fact that I was raised by someone with an eating disorder. My mother was, my mother, and I say this and I love her and she is now gone, but she literally may have been the only person on Weight Watchers while she was dying of um, stage four cancer, breast cancer. Mm. So she could not imagine life without worrying about her weight. And as a young kid, she struggled so much with food that my brother and I were sort of brought into it and she didn't mean it. She just did not know what to do with the her relationship with food. So she would close the kitchen at night and we would have these small dinners because they, they fit the Weight Watchers look. And then she'd get hungry. I had no idea that what she was doing was binging. Mm. So she was ordering a pizza at nine or 10 o'clock at night after she put us to bed and then waking us up to have the pizza with her. So it, it interrupted my sleep, my idea of food, all of those things. And there was that going on. And then I will say this, and this is really important to me. I was 10 or 11 and I had a babysitter that I idolized, idolized. Mm-hmm. She couldn't, she was everything. She would come over and she was 15 or 16 and we would like read magazines together and do all this stuff. And I had no idea and nobody else did because I'm going to tell you, this was like the sixties and like in the Mm sixties, she had an eating disorder and Mm -hmm. I woke up on the first of January one year to find all of my mom's neighbor friends in the kitchen saying that she had died. And that what I overheard walking down the steps is her mother begged her to eat a roll that morning. Mm. Nobody knew why she died. Like, you know, cardiac, it was this, it was that. And, and some of the women were like, maybe it was her diet. Maybe her diet was too stringent. And that started me on my own sort of journey of um, kind of dealing with like, what is, what am I supposed to look like? And what happened to her? And how did she die so young? And a lot of loss issues and fear and things like that at the same time to, to weave in the anxiety bit. Um, my family measure like sort of measures itself in strokes of anxiety as do lots of people. Right. And there's lots of reasons. Some of it's epigenetic, like, you know, coming from Ukraine over here, escaping, you know, the Holocaust, all the things that families do, you know, begins to play out in some control issue and, or, and, or a mixture of control and anxiety. So yeah, of course I had my own journey. I had my own therapist. I had my own, you know, like time of really looking at, you know, how I was, how do I live in my body, which is, is an ongoing question because the body's not static, right? It starts when we're young. Well, here I am, I'm about to be 65 in July and I'm dealing with an aging body. Well, what does that look like? And what do people do with that? And, and, you know, what is my exercise looks different than it did when I was younger. I used to like do step and like aerobic and run. And as the sort of parts of me have worn down, (laughs) 
I've adjusted to a more, you know, to doing my bike and doing walking and doing yoga in a very different way than I did in my, you know, certainly 20s, 30s and 40s. So, so that's how I came into all of this. And I love working with people around anxiety, like, what do we do to, to manage our anxiety? What do we do to, to live with our body and love it at any size, at any mm. ability, you know, and, and certainly how the world impacts that, like, you know, because people's race and ability and age and all of those things that play into how they're perceived or safe or not safe in the world is part of what ends up looking like sometimes an eating disorder or an anxiety mm. disorder or both. Mm-hmm. And so two questions. One, when's your birthday? July 7th. Awesome. July 3rd. I was like, you said July oh. and I was like, okay. <laughs> love yes. I love it. Oh my God. You will understand me even more now. <laughs> um, and then that's awesome. And then two, um, it's so interesting, right? The evolving, like even for my own journey with, with my eating disorder, like when I was 10, so much more of a controlling situation for me, and then when I got into college, it became, I want to look a certain way. I want to work out a certain way. I want to overdo, overdo, overdo to be smaller and smaller and smaller. And then I got into bodybuilding competitions at our school. And then it became about dieting. And then it became about being smaller and obsessed with the scale. And it's like all of those tools, like I want to say, I don't mean like bad tools, but the tools that I already had in my brain from my eating disorder when I was 10 reared back again when I was in college. And it was almost like I was so comfortable with it because I'm like, oh, okay, well, I like being hungry. And it made me feel like I did again when I was younger, when it was like I was in control of my hunger and in control of my timing. And now they put me on a diet where I was eating every couple hours. Well, that was comfortable to me again. And all of these things started to come back out. And I remember um, post-college, um, I should have had, I should have, you'll have to come back on Robin because my co-host. Okay, we barely just begun. Go on. <laughs> I know, but you're coming back on already because my co-host and one of my, one of my best friends, Heather, um, we wrote a book together and it's, mm-hmm. it's, we titled it body piece. And this is back in, uh, like, you know, uh, I think five, six ish years ago now. And Heather also had an eating disorder and we go into very different than my story, but we go into our stories and what we have done to be at a place. Our biggest thing was always, we're not saying we have body peace. Like we're not saying like we a hundred percent have peace with our body because that would be lying to everybody. But our biggest thing was always we are in a constant journey of trying to find peace with our body. And I, and obviously we're, you know, like I'm, I'm 31 and I feel like I have been through the ringer with my body because I've been at this since I was so young, but it's like, that is, it's constantly changing and evolving. And it's not to put anybody down and be like, Oh, you're constantly going to be struggling with your body forever. But it's, it's that it just presents itself in different ways, I think, throughout our lives. So do you see in like your clients or even your own journey, how, how those, how they come back, like how it comes back around sometimes. And maybe, you know, for me, my tools that I was given from my therapists, I was with the same therapist from when I was 10 until I was 21. So Mm -hmm. he watched me 
grow up, <laughs> like mm-hmm. literally every single situation. Um, and then I got back into it. Now I'm with a diff- another therapist living. I'm in Rhode Island now. I'm originally from Pittsburgh. So in Rhode Island now, but, um, do you see it? Do you see it come back up again? Like every couple of years and, and where are those, those tools, right? Like those tools that you might give someone to be using and how does it look different at 65 versus, you know, 31, or is it different? Or is it the well, same? Absolutely. You know, well, it's the same and it is different. So yeah, course, right? both <laughs> and I think, yes. you know, you can link it to losses, you can link it to change and you can link it to developmental milestones, right? So mm. I see, you know, women post baby, having a different argument with their body and a different conversation with it. Sometimes people are like, Oh my God, this body just gave birth to this baby. And I feel like incredible and privileged and happy and thrilled. Other people are like, okay, what's the fastest way to get back to my pre-baby weight? Will I ever get back there? And then you've got, you know, people going through menopause or if, you know, if we can talk about men and women here. I mean, you, you talk about like a man who's going through, a life change for himself, or he has some kind of surgery, or he has an it, an accident or something that slows him down. And again, we start to look at the body in this whole different way of like, I need the control back, you know, and I think all of our, all of our milestones, you know, even the shifts that people don't see, you said something earlier, Casey, that really, I wanted to, I want to circle back. Yeah. You said I had to deal with something on the playground that other children were not, but earlier you had said that Jordan you never knew. Right. So, so the argument could be here that, you know, so many people can hide. We hide all of our anxiety. We hide depression. We hide feelings of self-loathing, self-worth, you know, questions. And so as the ages and the years go by, of course it comes back. And actually maybe some of the tools you get when you're 12 don't apply when you're 31 and maybe they don't apply when you're 41. And, and because some of them, obviously mindfulness being centered and grounded in your body, doing movement, making sure you get sleep, making sure you're hydrated, like the basics stay the same, but how we talk to ourselves, I think shifts over the years. And, and I'd like that voice to always be shifting to kindness, right? Like Mm. how can we be kind about what we're seeing change in our bodies and not feel like I can't, you know, like I did Jane Fonda tapes, you know, like (laughs) I did Jane Fonda tapes. Then I heard Jane, but then I saw her book come out. Then I heard Jane Fonda speak at a conference talking about her relationship with bulimia. And I was like, okay, I wanted to be in the body that, I mean, you know, Jane Fonda had and worked really hard to think I was or getting there. And that was something I wanted. And she here she was struggling in pain that no one knew. Mm. And so, you know, for me, part of this is also destigmatizing the fact that we all get, I'm from Philly, so I'm about to curse. I don't know what you do on oh, this. Oh, do it. Oh, Pittsburgh girls curse too. You're oh, good, thank God. <laughs> okay. So we all get fucked up in our bodies, you know, cisgender yes. women and men, you know, trans people, like every, like people, gender fluid people, people who are anybody who has a body. My Mm -hmm. aspiration used to be, okay, I just said, I want to look like Jane Fonda. No, now I want to be as chill about my body as my dog and my cat. Yes. They are, they use it. They do what they want with it. They like they're pleasure seekers. They're, you know, I love this book, Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marie Brown. Amazing book. 
And she's like, get in there and be sexy and alive and be, you know, like find your power and your strength in your body. And yet she admits to having her moments, right? I think that's the thing. And I think that was so powerful when I heard Jane Fonda. I was like, okay, there you go. Talking about the fact that two out of three of your dad's wives committed suicide. Well, that says a lot about what was going mm-hmm. on. So, yeah. So I, I, I think I rambled on there, but um, I, oh, I love the rambles. I oh, love good. the rambles. Thank God. I feel yeah. like the, I feel like more comes out in the rambles. I, you're talking to the queen of rambling. That's why I started a podcast. <laughs> um, but I, what I wanted, and I'm, I'm not ever being rude. I'm writing notes when you're talking, um, well, big great. points I want to point out, but, um, what I'd love to piggyback off of was a defining moment in my life that I remember now holds so much weight in the way that, you know, I think about the way that I talk to people, words. Um, I train a lot of youth athletes. It's, it's my passion, my youth girls. I obviously train boys too, but the girls tend to gravitate towards me because I am just a, you know, I'm a former soccer player, track athlete, strong girl in the gym. Like I want to liberate these kids to be strong and be, um, you know, confident. And that's the amazing thing I could go on forever, but it's the amazing piece of, they come to me because their parents usually want them to get better, get stronger, get faster. But in reality, they find this confidence in their whole world. And it Mm -hmm. is become my mission. It is my mission. Mm -hmm. I will train anybody. And I honestly, I go through this also with any of my adult clients. It's the same concept, right? But for me, I think about my words so much with them because when I was 10, 11, I switched schools. I was Mm. the new girl, right? I knew one boy, but I had cooties. So he didn't want to talk to me. Right. So he didn't want to admit that he knew me, you know? And so we, we literally moved down the street. We did not move very far, but it, it caused me to change schools. Um, and I think that is what my therapist and I, in the last year have really worked on that, you know, I probably already had anxiety, but that was almost my permission to feel it when I started Mm -hmm. to feel different because I was the new girl. And, um, and a lot of defining things kind of happened in that time. But I remember the initial feelings when I would sit in the secretary's office, God bless her soul, and let me eat lunch with her because I was so, I couldn't sit in the cafeteria. It was way too much for me um, with what I was going through at the time. And um, and we would talk and we would, you know, and I remember telling her, like, I just, I just feel different. I feel like no one else feels how I feel. And here I am inside when they're on the playground and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I remember a girl whose also name was Casey, the only other Casey in like my whole school with me. Um, no, obviously they all saw me struggling. It wasn't like it was hidden. Like I would get pulled out of class. I would stay in the, you know, I couldn't go back to class. Sometimes I was in and out of the counselor's office, in and out of the principal's office, calling my parents. I mean, it was a, it was, you know, it wasn't fun for two years of my life. And I remember this girl, Casey approached me and we were young, you know, and she came up to me and she said, I know, you know, I don't remember hundred percent of the words, but it was like, I know that you, um, struggle with food and, and I do too. And I, I just started to, and I don't really know. And I remember us having this conversation and that was the first time in almost two years. I remember feeling hope 
because mm-hmm. I remember being like, oh my God, because I felt so alone. And I think that that goes for so many ages and people and, 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 and so many things we all deal with is you do, you feel so alone and you feel so different. And then the second somebody says something to you, it opens, it opened up my whole world. I was like, wait a second. You feel like how I, like, you know, imagine a 12 year old conversation. I'm like, you feel the same way. Are you going to a therapist? Do you need help? Like I, I instantly was like wanting to give her all of my information, like how I do now, you know? And so I think, you know, especially with the world, the way it is and social media and, and, and I know that we could talk about that forever, but with my kids, I call them my kids when they're in the weight room or they're, you know, with me at all, I have just learned the words that I use are so important. And I know Mm -hmm. that me being open about struggling or having anxiety or struggling with food or over-exercising, and they know my story. Like every one of them knows I'm very open about it. And my goal is for always to, for them to not have to go down that path. But if they do, obviously they have someone in, in me to be able to guide them hopefully through to get them help. Um, and I've done it many times. Right. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, um, for you, especially in, in this last, in this last year, right. Where I'm, I would, uh, I mean, I am no, um, what is the word? Like I am no, uh, status. I'm making up a word. Statistician. Is that, I've just made that up. Statistician is a word. Yep. Okay, great. Thank you. I'm like, that doesn't sound right at all, but I, I would assume that not only is anxiety peaking, but I, I'm wondering with the food relationship, what that has looked like. Um, and one big thing, I know you're like one big thing. This is, this is something I'm so excited to dive into with you because Jordan, when we connected last week, she said, she goes, I really think a topic that would be so great and obviously makes sense is how being a therapist through a pandemic, when you're also like Jordan said, this is the first time therapists are also essentially feeling the same thing that their clients are as far as the uncontrollables and what's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. So I know that was a loaded question, but no, it's a I really want to dive in with that with you. I'm very curious. Well, let's do that. That's a great yes. question. And so um, let's, I think there's a couple things. The first is that I thought that 9-11 was the first time for me that I, I literally remember having a client coming that day when that happened and saying, I still want to come. And then walking in and saying, could we put on the radio and just sit next to each other? Mm. And realizing that there was a vulnerability that I could not escape because I was there in the same predicament. I thought that was going to be a lifetime event. And right. Okay. No. Now here comes COVID. (laughs) Okay. No. (laughs) Which is a year over a year in and therapists are showing wear and tear dramatically. Mm -hmm. The American Psychological Association did some research on, you know, just some quick stats. And they said that, you know, like at least 47 to 57% of people they surveyed endorsed anxiety. 
I'm not thinking therapists weren't part of that. I've had therapists um, talk to me through different listservs and different Facebook books I'm on. And we talk to each other saying, I used to be able to do eight hours in a day. I have to do six now because if I don't do self-care in between, I am falling apart. We are isolated. I'm doing all my work online. I am a human person. I'm a pack animal like the rest of us. And I like to be in the room and and see, because, you know, if you think about it, the research has shown that only 7% of what we say is what people are attending to. They're attending 93% to tone and body language, right? So as a body person, you know that you can tell when somebody's feeling confident in their body because you're seeing it with your eyes. You're watching what they're doing. So Zoom has been, I mean, you know, I have another platform I use, but but the, the platforms have been a lifesaver. And at the same time, people are feeling, you know, therapists are stressed, clients are stressed. There's a lot more, you know, you said before, like that 12-year-old conversation you had with someone else, how important that was. People are not finding, you know, the same comfort level in a community Zoom as they do in being out in the world, right? And as we keep opening up and, and things are happening that are changing all of this, I'm hoping we go back to an, like a new place, but it's going to be a new place. It's not going to be the old place. And there's some grief in there, even for myself. Like I've had, there are things I lost doing this year that sustain me as a therapist that I've had to like be as creative as possible to find other things, but it's not the same. It's not the same for me or anyone else. And yeah, I think people, the eating disorders, I will tell you, I talked to my, I have network liaisons for different eating disorder programs that we cross refer with. And even in my own practice on an outpatient level, we have seen an uptick in behaviors around eating disorders because we want control. We are fucking tired of this, right? I am, I am as a person, I am as a therapist, I am as a parent, I am as a, you know, like a person in the world. I just want this over and that's not how this works, right? If we look at back at the 1918, you know, flu that lasted, you know, through a few years cycle and how people reacted and how the roaring 20s followed that because people were like, get me out and let me be around people and have like this outrageously delicious, fabulous time. And I really want to wear a flapper dress someday. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just had to say that. But I, I you know, I know. I think about the fact that we are, we get so much by our senses in the room with other people. And it's some of it we don't even understand, right? It's the sound, it's the tone, it's the smell. It's, you know, like think about a perfume that a a teacher who was important to you once wore. If you smell that somewhere else, you're like, oh, I'm back there. All factory stuff, all of the stuff that like connects us is missing, right? And, Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean we haven't done our best to like do these, you know, outside walks and outside meetings. And, you know, now restaurants are opening up and people are certainly people have been eating outside, but some are going inside. And that brings anxiety. Is this COVID thing gonna go back up again? It also brings like a a moment of joy to remember what it used to feel like to say to somebody, hey you know, let's go get an acai bowl, like, and and sit and talk. Simple stuff. Yeah. It is simple stuff that's been missing and it has increased anxiety and it has increased depression and it has increased, you know, it is uh, suicidality has increased from ideation to completion. And it's really been taxing for people to go through this particular period. It's hard. It's Mm -hmm. really hard. And I think too, you know, the, 
<laughs> so many points on all of that. And that's, and I want to touch on one of the things you said for the next question I have for you, but, um, I think as someone to, who, I mean, we all had to pivot, you know, and, and, yep. and, and I remember being like, oh my gosh, like all the doubt just came rushing over me. Like, how am I supposed to do an online class? And, and, and I personally am such a in-person person and, I totally give credit to anyone who has been doing this online thing before it was even a thing, right? Like I have friends in the industry that have been online trainers for years and it's what they do. And they, they have found a way to balance that. But for me, I am such an in-person person. Just like you said, I pick up on people's cues when they walk through the door. I am like, I know where I need to be to match Mm -hmm. them. So it's like, my energy, people are always like, how is your energy up here all the time? And I'm like, because it's six in the morning and you need it up here, you know? And it's like, or it's later at night and you're tired and I'm matching you where you are. And I think, especially with therapists, I can only imagine as someone who's been through therapy in person, right? Like sitting there and them being able to read, you being able to read their body and the way that they're talking and the way that they're feeling. And, um, so in the last year, I have discovered I'm an empath. I, so this is kind of funny because I've always known what an empath is, but I never really maybe understood it deeply. And when I decided to get back into therapy right before the pandemic really started, I was just in a really bad negative space. My body was feeling shitty for lack of a better term. I was doing too much. I was saying yes to everything. I was teaching 47 classes a week. I was doing, you know, not really 47 classes, but I was was teaching a lot and also trying to do my own training on the side and then just losing Casey. Like I just completely lost myself. And one of the biggest things with the, with my therapist at the time was rewriting who Casey is. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that Casey's gone. Like she was like, listen, like you are just a different, a different story of Casey now that you're not, you don't have to hold on to Casey before this all happened. Like, obviously something wasn't working for you. You were feeling horrible. You were having weird symptoms. I was at every doctor I could think of having needles shoved in me everywhere. Cause I'm like, something's wrong. And then she went over empath with me, like being an empath. And as she's listing off this whole thing, I'm like, oh my God, you're reading my soul. Like it was insane, Mm -hmm. but we realized how much we pick up from other people. And I never understood or had the tools to turn it off. Or I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean that I, to detach from my clients and my people. And I didn't realize how much I was holding on to from just interacting with my clients or, you know, doing things that I was saying yes to, but really I should have maybe been saying no to. And it was like, that was just not me, you know? And then all of a sudden it became, oh, so them feeling that way doesn't mean that I have to feel that way for seven days after because they have been feeling that way. So I wonder, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that, thank God I learned that about myself because it all made sense. Now I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, so that's why I feel exhausted sometimes after being with people all day. I love it, but dang, you know, it was exhausting. So 
I just wonder for you, right? Someone who probably understands that way before I did was are, how do you turn that off? Like, how do you not necessarily, you know, you know what I mean? Like if you're dealing with, if you're talking to somebody and they're struggling, just like you are with this control and you know, whatever we all might be feeling, how, how, or maybe it does affect you and you've learned different ways how to cope with it. But maybe this can also help a lot of other people. If they're feeling from other people, this, I kept feeling this urge. I kept feeling everyone was ready for it to go back to normal and they all Mm -hmm. wanted it so bad. And I have my fists like, you know, like tight because I could feel it in them. Like we were back at the gym, but it was like, you know, we have our masks on, we have to stay spaced out. We've been at the gym for a couple months now, but you still feel this. And I was taking that responsibility of, I need to fix this for people. I need to be, to get them back to normal. And, you know, and I realized, thank God I learned what being, an empath was, but I wonder for you, you know, I'm sure you hold, you hold some of that or you've worked Mm -hmm. on that. So even for people that aren't therapists, right? Like how can we work through feeling what everyone else is feeling? Oh God. What a fabulous question. I love that question. (laughs) I think there's so many answers to it. Um, the reality is, yes, as highly empathic people, and I think, you know, I, I'm going to put therapists in a, in a pack of people who do that. There is something about not, you, you learn not to be a fixer because I'm not here to fix anybody else because the expert on everybody is themselves. It's not me. Mm-hmm. And so that's step number one for me. And the other thing is I, so a combination of mindfulness And my imagery of a remote control helps me the most. So mindfulness is I'm in the moment, I'm present with the person, like I'm present with you right now, Casey, I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm enjoying our conversation. I'm I'm aware of, you know, seeing your face on Zoom. And so being in the moment and then letting that moment go, because I'm only in this moment right now, and now I'm in this next moment and this next moment. And so I'm not schlepping, (laughs) carrying along everybody's everything. And the other thing, and I work with clients with this all the time, imagine that you're at the, you're sitting in front of the television and there is no on and off. There is no volume control. There is no channel control. You just have it coming at you all the time. That is how empath, empaths work. It's always on high. It's always glaring and you can't really escape from it. When you give yourself a, a sort of a tool that says, you know what? I do have the remote control. I can turn the volume down. I don't have to listen right this minute. It's not going to help that other person for me to be a hundred percent on a hundred percent of the time, seven days a week. I'm not even with them that much. Right. Right. So, and there's also changing the channel like right now, like, and, and for me, that can be as simple as, are you going to read the news in this moment and make yourself agitated about something or Oh, come on. Look at that beautiful baby platypus picture. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. we, we find ways to change the channel a little bit and to lower the volume and even to turn things off because otherwise you're right. The story of Casey becomes the story of everybody. And it's just a big mush. The same as the story of Robin, right? If I don't get back to things that I find grounding and soothing and interesting outside of my work and outside of the, the, the pain that I know other people are feeling. It's not like I'm, I'm saying I'm not 
like, oh, I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just if I live in it with them, then I become as saturated as they are with the problem. And therefore, I'm not a helper. Mm. So I think that's part of it. I think that's really part of it. Plus, if you don't get it, if get a chance, turn on YouTube and watch the one and a half minute video called It's Not About the Nail. Okay. Because it's really good for us helpers to remember that. It is a really hilarious little romp through helping when you know, you think you know, you're sure you know the problem, but maybe you don't. So right. it's really, it's really helpful. And, and, yes. and that's the other thing, you know, we all, I can give the best advice to other people. Can I follow my own advice? If I can't follow my own advice, my job isn't giving advice. Right. So really it's about helping people get inside themselves in their mentality, in their emotions, in their belief system and their core beliefs, and really like analyzing, living, experiencing, and having their own ability to focus on what needs to be focused on, not me saying, you know what, I think if you did this three times a week, not that I don't say that sometimes, I will say, how often do you want to try taking a walk? You know, if it's really hard to get outside, what if you just stepped outside of your door and, you know, took in the sun for five minutes, right? I think those are those moments where we help people chunk down what they do, which is probably the same in bodybuilding, right? Aren't you, you're not saying pick up a hundred pounds first thing, you're saying, let's move from a lighter weight to a heavier weight because you're building m- muscles. And I think we have emotional muscles. I think we have mental muscles and I think they have to be built. Right. And Ooh. we build them. I love it. And, and that's, uh, that's exactly it. It's progressive overloading in the gym and it's like progressive overloading with our, with our mind, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the parallel between fitness and mental health. And, and it's, it's so one and the same because it's the same concepts we're putting in, in the gym to get stronger, to get, you know, to build muscle, to, to feel better, to lift our grandkids. Like I have all my clients have completely different goals, but all one and the same of feeling better, feeling stronger, being, you know, a better version of themselves, a stronger version of themselves. And that's also, it's between the ears. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's about tolerating discomfort, right? I mean, Mm. I think we probably parallel very much in the fact that it's so easy to go for the urge of what's simple or what's not hard. And so for me, it's somebody tolerating an emotion or a thought that is difficult for you. It's, can you tolerate one more rep, right? It's, can you tolerate one more moment of being uncomfortable so that you can pick up your grandchild or you can get in that contest or you are going to be a better athlete. And all of it is resisting the urges and temptations that lead us away from the goals we're stating we have. Mm. Oh, it's so good because if when I'm not, you know, I always say I, I have referred more of my clients to therapists than like, I, that's my biggest thing for people. I'm like, everyone should be in therapy, I think, but it's like, what, what I, what my biggest advice for people from what I've gone through and exactly with what you're saying, it's the, the, it all boils down to facing that uncomfortable thought feeling. And because right Mm -hmm. now I think, and this is leading into my next question, but right now I think, um, a big word for people. And I, and I am also in this category of, you know, last year feeling lost and confused and having these body symptoms and thinking my, 
I would never be able to be a trainer again. Like I had myself in such a dark place of my life just being over. And looking back now, I can almost chuckle at like, oh man, Casey, you were, you were deep, you know, but now we're, we're okay. We're out of there, but it's, you know, for people it's hope it's Mm -hmm. hope. And I think that, um, you know, for, especially when I was struggling really bad when I was younger or my clients are coming in and they're struggling, or you're dealing with people that are struggling. It's when the second someone provided me hope and someone gave me like believed in me more than I was believing in myself is when that whole thing, that whole concept just turns around. And when I tell people is the best way I can give them hope to come out on the other end is to face, like I always call it the mountain, right? Or my mom, when I was younger, her, her analogy was always, every time we would be going through something or I would be, I say we, cause it was a whole family thing, but it was like, mm-hmm. as on the way to therapy or on the way. And I always felt like this wall of like, I don't want to talk. I have nothing to talk about, but I had everything to talk about, you know? And it was like, I had this wall and my mom would always say to me in the car ride, this is a speed bump in your story. This is not a brick wall. This is a speed bump, Casey. Like she would always use that terminology and it stuck. I mean, it'll stick with me forever. And I pass it on to the next people. And I'm like, this is such a speed bump in your story. And this is such a speed bump in our story. And what you're dealing with, this is not a brick wall. And the biggest way that I can tell people to work through something as someone who's been a client of a therapist and has also you know, worked with people in the setting of helping them with their mental health too. It's to face what is that uncomfortable feeling and Mm -hmm. go face to face with that thing you think is a wall. And then I remember being in therapy and I would say whatever the feeling was, or I would describe it, or I would talk about my fear or what my biggest fear was. And then all of a sudden it would kind of start to disintegrate or it would kind of start to feel way smaller than what I originally thought. And so I guess what I would love to, to ask you is, is, you know, providing hope for people like where, where like falling into people coming to you and being like, and cause I just know what that feels like of being like, I'm a lost cause and I'm mm-hmm. never going to get better where does that, where do you pull from that for people for, for finding hope and what they can kind of hold on to? Well, I love the word hope so much. Um, and I also want to, you know, it's so funny. You said wall, because one of the people I follow on Instagram this morning who's a therapist said, sometimes when you find a wall, it's not there to bang your head against. It's there to lean on while you rest to figure out what you're going to do next. I saw you post that. And I, I that. yes, and I took a screenshot of it because I'm like, that is being. I'm using that for something. I, it's, I know, it's right? I loved it, loved it, loved it. I thought she, she they, they did a great job actually of, of putting it out there. So there's that. But hope is really important, and ho- there's a difference between believing in someone and just saying you're great you're wonderful. That's, this is going to pass. Everything's fine. That's to me, instilling hope and being in hope is having every belief. And I do, I actually do that. Whatever a client is enduring or has endured in their life that brought them to the place they're at, that they can grow from it. They can move through it, move beyond it and get to a place of peace and serenity and 
calm. Maybe there's some joy in there. I have I have a, a friend who speaks about revolutionary joy that like go and grab that joy, but it's all temporary. So the the bad and the good, the hard and the easy, all of those things are temporary. And I think that's where we get back to that sense of, I can get through this. And that's hope, right? Mm-hmm. This person sitting over there believes that I can get through this. That's another piece of hope. And rewriting the story as your therapist had you do of who you are and where you want to be and, and accepting, sort of radically accepting, okay, here I am right now. This is only one version of me in this moment or even in this day or this week or this month or the COVID year or, you know, a difficult time when something, you know, you had a great big loss or you've been having a year full of panic attacks or, you know, like all of the things that start to happen. We generate our own hope. I think it is part of the human condition to buffer ourselves with some kind of like pessimism, but there's always that kernel in there of like, this is, this could get better. This could, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I didn't get that job, but maybe there's another job that's going to come along. Maybe I didn't meet that particular goal or, you know, I, I'm not famous. Maybe my goal, maybe my dream is to be famous and I'm a musician and I'm not there yet. Well, but maybe I've affected all these people and I've done these amazing things. And so it, I think also it's how we not only vision and talk to ourselves, but look at the body of what we've done in life. And everyone has, again, back to that story, everybody has a story of something they did well, whether it's something they helped somebody with, they volunteered, they felt good about, like, you know, they baked like an impossibly difficult cake. I don't care what it is, Mm -hmm. but holding on to the goodness that we have is really part of where we get that hope from. And I love it. I mean, I, I'm like all about the hope. Oh my gosh. And it's so, um, there's such like a light calming feeling that happens when you believe that hope. Like I, like, you know, it's like, even now it's like you, I, you know, you think back me personally a year ago and being like, and that's why it's so to go through these things on our own. And then to, when someone struggles or comes to you struggling, you just want to take them and be like, you will be okay. Like, you know, it's like, you just want to, but they have to go like my favorite thing that you have said, I wrote it down. It's like, I'm not here to fix you. You are like, that is, I would not (laughs) tattoo that like across my chest. It's like that I need t-shirts made. Like, because I think as professionals and what we do, we feel that it is our responsibility to, to fix people. And the best thing I think to kind of wrap that whole idea up is to just provide hope because absolutely. And, and can I, I'm, I, I'm, Oh my God, take it. I have to take interrupt it, you for one second. Because no, interrupt not, me, do it. <laughs> good. It's not just that it's that to fix them implies they're broken. Yeah. They're not broken. There's some, we're not broken. I mean, and, and we break in spots and those spots, you know, I remember this woman standing up at a memorial service saying, if our hearts didn't break and have a, a little sense of brokenness when we've lost something dear or someone dear, we wouldn't be human. And it's just like that, you know, that ja- I think it's Japanese art of like taking broken pottery and then putting it back together and then putting gold on it. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's not hiding the scars. It's owning those scars and we all have scars, emotional and physical and all that. So I think 
what helps me pull back from the role of thinking fix is that I don't look at people as broken. I look at people mm. as on a journey. And yes. I think that's super important. Oh my gosh. Again, I'm going to be right. This is like a wall of Robin quotes. I'm just going to put up in my house. Like that's amazing. But that's that is such a, oh my gosh. But it's, I hope that people, when they listen to these, like my biggest goal is just for people. Cause they, I know there are people that listen to these that aren't trainers that aren't therapists. Like I know some of my closest people that are listening to these. And my thing is you can take exactly what you just said, no matter what you do for a living. Cause most people are working with other people, no matter oh, yeah. who it is. Right. And it's like, if we start to look at people as not broken and how we can give them hope to feel better or to, it'll be okay. There is a silver lining in, in this, right. It's, it's, it's just, that's just an amazing way to look at it. Like, it's just an amazing switch. And I also think that it also allows people that are in a role where you are looked at as the expert and to make people feel a certain way, um, that, you know, you, if you also start to look at people as not broken and that they are, just on their journeys, it takes the pressure, I think, off of you where you feel, and I mean you by any of us, it's like that we feel that we need to be responsible for the way these people feel. And I think for me, that's a huge lesson because it's for so long, I was holding everyone else's progress up to my version of a standard where it's like, you know what? I can, what do you lead the horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink the water. Like you can do everything in your power to set them up. And, 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 but the biggest thing is just to give them hope, keep continuing, stay consistent. This journey will play out, you know, and and you're there to create that space for them. Right. And to own, you know, I, I, it's so interesting to me. I always think about this when my grandmother got breast cancer, it was in a time period where we said, she has the big C. Nobody said the word cancer. We certainly didn't say the word breast. So there was a whole lot we weren't saying. And she grieved alone. She had no friends to share it with. She didn't allow anyone in. And then we moved to today and I am watching like women in my own life, but I, you know, women who get breast cancer, for instance, go from, it's a shameful thing to I'm not reconstructing. I'm fine. Or I'm putting, I'm tattooing my whole chest or I am reconstructing. It matters to me. Or I, and they put it out on Facebook or they put it out on the social media um, places that they are. And they're sort of like, okay, women get breast cancer. So now what am I, now what am I going to do with it? And people who lose limbs and people who, you know, like when we go through serious body changes, the first thing is shock. The second thing is grief, right? I mean, Mm. those things are important, but then there's a rec, like a reclaiming. And I think when we work in eating disorders too, we're talking, we're, we're talking about reclaiming ourselves in all of our glory and all of our sort of like health and wellness and being alive in our bodies and it may not look what we like we want it to look but then what you know I follow Amy Purdy girl I don't know if you follow her on Instagram I what's the last name it's Amy Purdy girl yeah okay I'll have to look it up okay 
she has this incredible, she was um, an athlete. She lost both of her legs um, wow. from, I think the knees down. She's had multiple surgeries. She's an activist. She's a speaker. She is, she's, she dances. She was on Dancing with the Stars. I mean, she's done all these things. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I know yeah. who that is. Yes. She's okay. Like, it's just incredible to watch somebody. And and what why it's incredible to me is because I project how I would respond. And my response would, I think, wouldn't have been as strong and power empowered as hers. Now it may be that that could be like total bullshit. But I because <laughs> I haven't been through it. So I'm I'm projecting right. in. But I think that's what we do, right? We see somebody and we project in, well, if that happened to me, I'd be, and therefore they must be. And we go into this dance and no, let's find out what they really are, you know, like, mm. and, and how long grief lasts. Like, you know, I, this is something I freaking hate my profession for. We have gone from this grief should last a very short period of time to like, you know, why aren't you over it yet to, you know, now therapists and, and there's death doulas and there's people now working with like grief and loss. And it's like, it is an ongoing part of our journey, the rest of our lives when we've lost something very, very precious to us. It is not one and done. Mm. You know, you have the funeral or you have this, you know, like you have the surgery and okay, are you getting better yet? You know, mm. that is how we've, we used to look at things. And even my profession did that. And now we're understanding that we can walk, we can walk along with our grief if we can like just honor it for what it is mm. and be strong and empowered and happy at the same time we may be grieving and sad. And all of that is what makes us a human really. hundred percent because just like we touched on earlier when, you know, we didn't know Jordan say struggled with anything, you know, and then you see it happen in front of you and you're like, Oh my goodness. Like, and I think that it's so it's, and I'm sure you have seen or heard something similar to this, but it's like, you know, I get often with people is I don't, once I really open up about something I've been struggling with or my anxiety or like stories, stories that people just don't know about my past. And I'll open up about it and they'll say, I just can't ever imagine you dealing with something like that because you're so, you're so happy and energetic. And, and I'm like, yeah, like I've been this way since I was born. I've been loud since I was a kid. I have been like, I have had a voice since I, I was strong-willed. My parents had to take strong-willed children parenting classes because they didn't know what to do with me. Like I literally was, I was a hot ticket, but I also have another side to myself that, that is very in the other direction. And that's okay. Like I've almost got, it's like, you get to a point where I used to be, I used to really struggle with the identity of both of those. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, Oh, well I can't open up too much and look like I'm being dramatic because people don't see me that way. Like I'm not walking around with my head down and I'm not crying all the time. So I can't talk about it because people won't believe me because I'm such a, a outgoing person in when I'm with people, they won't believe me. They're going to think I'm dramatic. And then when I do open up, they're like, oh my gosh, how, like, how does that even, and I'm like, now I'm getting better at being like, you know what? Like these are both me and that's part, they're they're both both part of exactly. Right. Right. And our opposites exist in can like, they can, how do I want to say this? The opposite feelings we have, you know, the strength and the weakness, the happiness and the sadness 
when we can learn that both of those can exist and make up who we are, and we're not shamed to being one or the other because people want to see us a particular way, Mm. we're so much stronger for it because we are all like, you know, I am a very social person. I love people. I love talking to people. I love meeting people. And then I have this shy side that's like, bye y'all. Like, can you you just leave me alone? Because I just want to be in my office reading a book with my cat and I don't want anybody near me right now. And it used to be, I had to, like, I felt like, you know, and that's the thing. We take those quizzes online and we take all these tests that say, you are an extrovert. You're an introvert. Okay. How about if you're both like, you know, you, you have anxiety, you don't have anxiety. How about if you have anxiety in certain circumstances that gets generated and other times you feel pretty confident about something like Mm -hmm. that's, and I think we are so binary in our thinking, right? We do it with gender. We do it with our emotions. We do it with our belief system. Like we don't allow for both and of anything. That's not how our country in particular works. You got to be one or the other. You have to be, you know, like God, say it out loud, Republican or Democrat. You can't have some, you know, fiscal conservatism and also be completely liberal in your thinking about and, and re- not even liberal, like wanting to smash the patriarchy that be and like change things, right? You can't have both. Well, why not? You can have both. Mm-hmm. You can be afraid of change and want change. You can be part of the problem and also part of the solution. And it is freeing to not feel like you have to be one or the other. Very freeing. And I think for clients, learning that they can be embodied and powerful and and speak up and, and find each other and find other people like them is really powerful. And you don't have to be all one way. Hmm. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. And it's so true because I think it's just so comfortable for people to almost they don't even realize that it makes them comfortable for things to be one way. And it's like, okay, well, we're just challenging that that person can have two totally opposite ends of their spectrum. Right. And I think the more that we come into power with our own self of like what that looks like. And that's like what my therapist said, like, okay, we're, we're rewriting like Casey doesn't have to be what Casey was at 28 or 10 or a lot, you know, it's like Casey can be 31 and be a very different just a different outlook or a different understanding of me, of us, of who we are. And it's accepting that we're many different things in one and that that's okay. Right. And that's, it's normalizing that it's okay to be different things. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think the, what I want to like, I mean, I could talk to you forever, but I want to, um, I know I want to, uh, tie it's, I mean, it's been an hour, which is amazing. These go so fast. So what I want to tie down with is, is something that, um, Jordan and I also spoke on and it, it flows, of course it flows perfectly right into what we've been talking about. But I think I would love your perspective on normalizing the anxiety that we might feel with things opening back up again. So I know, right. So let's like take that in. So Jordan and I, you know, our conversation the other last week when we were when she, I was writing down little notes about each one of you that she was putting me in contact with. And she said, she goes, Robin would be such an amazing person to not only talk about going through a pandemic on your own with your clients, but also the feeling that we all are getting right now, like normalizing that we may feel very differently about things opening back up. Not so much for being say afraid of things more. So just the fact of like, going back to normal, but like my normal is very different now 
than my normal was a year ago, you know? Right. And I, I would right. love to just for people to hear your perspective. And I know people are feeling this and I know people and myself included, like I'm always very open about how I have felt and feel like there is that sense of, oh shit. Like, okay, now I have to, now I might have to go to plans again. Like sometimes I'm that, I'm that girl that is again, very outgoing, very let's get together. And then the second plans are canceled. I'm like, amen, I'm staying home. You know what I mean? Oh Oh, yeah. So me. So I just would love, there is me and Jordan. That's what, that was our whole conversation was, uh, was what it looks like, what the future, like what this next couple months are going to look like for people and how we're all probably feeling. So I'd love to tie it all together on yep. where we are now, where we are moving forward. I would, I would love to hear your two cents on that. I, well, I have two cents on that. I think yeah. the, the funny thing is, you know, if we hadn't politicized our fear and politicized our, um, our normal, we wouldn't have gotten into these um, either or positions. I think opening up and normalcy is going to look what it looks like. And some people will have more anxiety going back and some people have already gone back and some people are jumping in. If we can pull back the judgment Mm -hmm. about what other people are doing and let them find their way, it will be a lot better than thinking we are in some kind of military lineup formation and we all have to walk like good soldiers into the, you know, like front, like go. Yes. It's not like that. Some people will take a little bit of time to feel like, you know, I'm a little nervous about a movie theater. A movie theater feels like there's no air. Maybe I'm okay at a baseball game. You know, I'm going to have to take that one step at a time. Everyone's going to have to take it one step at a time. And if we weren't putting on our judgy lenses, we would do so much better because I don't know what it's going to, I don't know what it's going to look like. You know, like mm-hmm. for me, I don't even know what it's going to look like. I'm, you know, moving forward in the way that I move forward. And I don't want anybody to feel like, Oh, Robin's moving too fast. Robin's moving too slow. That's their projection. Like we were just talking about on like their own fear and anxiety. And I think normal is going to mean trying to crawl out of these holes of you're with us or you're against us you are doing it the right way or the wrong way. And if we can calmly and lovingly accept where we are and I can accept where you are and you can accept where I am, normal will begin to play itself out as anxiety goes down, as things open up. And as we see that, you know, the virus, it got a lot of us. It, it hurt a lot of people in the world. And yet there's many left standing. And as we come back out and breathe with each other, which of course the irony, right? This is a breath related thing. And my number one thing I like is being in sync with other people's breath, right? And breathing. Mm. I meditate. I have a meditation group I go to, you know, that, and we're finally getting back in person, which is so exciting. Right. But I think that's the thing. Like we have to let each other have some breathing room for this and then normal will unfold as it is. And I hate the word normal anyway. I've used it way too many times. I hate normal. What the hell is normal? I don't even know what normal is, right? Because that's my dog. Hold on one second. My dang, she was doing so good too.
and she was doing so good. Oh no. I, I'm this whole time. She has lasted so long. And then there were two guys out here and I knew she was going to start barking. So. Oh yeah. No, mine does that too. Don't worry about it. Oh, anyway, but yes, yeah. I also hate the word normal. It is like, what does normal look like? Case, like I always say, like when I, like people are like, when I'm back to normal, when I'm my normal self, well, everyone's normal looks completely and utterly different. <laughs> exactly. And at, as somebody who wants people to be them full, their full selves, I don't want to work with getting anyone to a status quo of normalcy that they think they're supposed to. And mm. so for this, this has been a very, very deep time for the world and for our country in lots and lots of ways. And I think coming out of it, you know, it, it's just like when winter ends, what's the first thing you do when it's warm enough? You open the windows, right? Mm-hmm. And you breathe and you start to see the sun and there's buds on the, you know, spring is happy. I mean, I'm on, I'm, we're on the East coast. I'm on the East coast, yes. right? So yes, there's an unfolding. And I think if we are tolerant of ourselves as we unfold and others, as we unfold, we will find ourselves looking around and having some trepidation, but also being bold and also being joyful. And it's all of that is okay. And if anxiety is what tags along, you work with it. If it's interfering with what you want to be doing, then you get therapy, right? Then you do something to get past that. If it's just with you and you're like, okay, you sit right here. And I know you're, you're like a little guard that's trying to help me, but I think I'm okay right now. Then you move forward. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's amazing. It's amazing because I just think that there are so many people who aren't, are, are, are feeling this sense of just a little bit of anxiety of like thing, like, what does that just going back to a routine or do you want for me? It's like, do I want that same routine? Like a lot has changed. Right. And I think for a lot of people, a lot has changed. Their routine has changed. Oh my right? God. And therapy has changed. There are a lot of therapists and a lot of clients who are saying, I have not mess. I'm not missing sessions now. I can get to you. If I have some, a work responsibility that was going to limit my ability to travel to and from like, I'm not going back full-time in person because right. some people have gotten the most out of the, the ability to regularly come to therapy versus irregularly come because life kept getting in their way or they didn't sometimes they may have put life in their way, but, but a lot of right, times really right. life got in their way. Like you're driving to your therapist and there's a traffic jam. You only have an hour there. If you're 20 minutes late, you're screwed. Right. So right. there has been, there are some things that won't go back and that's okay because that means we learned something from this epidemic, this pandemic, right? We learned something and we learned what we may want that sets different limits on our time and how we spend it. Maybe we spend less time in the car. Maybe we spend more time with a friend. Maybe, you know, like those things will show up as we open up and as this, you know, this thing hopefully gets behind us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You're so amazing. So I, again, we could talk for hours, but I would love if you could let everyone know where they can find you. Like you said, you're coming out with a book. So I definitely need to be getting my hands on that. So I would love, um, people are going to fall in love with you. So just let them know where they can find you. Obviously I will put everything in the show notes. Like people can click very easily, but I would just love, just tell us what you're doing. Tell us what you're up to. Okay. So, um, 
the book is, is not out yet, but um, when it does come out, it's called Where the Eating Disorders Roam, How Trauma, Social Injustice, and the Diet and Diet Culture Keeps Us Hungry. Ooh. So um, yes. that will happen. I am most easily found at, uh, I love Instagram. That's like like my John and I'm a Philadelphia. Right. So that's what yeah. I'm <laughs> That's uh, at Robin Mindful Counseling. And people can find me there. My website for my business is www.hptherapy.com. And I just, I know, 65 and here I am having fun on things. I just started TikTok. I I'm just doing meditation. Oh, I that, love it. Just a little meditation stuff. Um, so that's been... You know, that's been cut. That's kind of fun. I love technology. There are some, you know, some things about it that people are like, oh, I don't know. I don't like it, but I kind of think it's fun. So, yeah. So that, and I'm on LinkedIn at Robin Hornstein. Um, and you can find me there if, for professional things. So that's where I am. Right. Do you yeah. take clients out of state or no? Is that a thing? So I am licensed in uh, 16 states because okay. of uh, Pennsylvania went into a reciprocity agreement with 16 other states that all joined in. So I can see people in Illinois. I can see people in Texas. I can see people across the country. Um, there's not, but of course, you know, and I'm sorry for anybody listening from New Jersey, but New Jersey, our <laughs> next door neighbor, practically like suburbs of each other. Yes. You can't see people in Jersey. They have to come across the state line to Pennsylvania, Crazy. but I can see people in Texas, which is a flight away or a uh -huh. very long drive. Yes. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I am, I'm licensed in all those states. Awesome. And I do want to say it's so, it's so interesting. So my mom is, she's going to be so mad at me because I, I never remember my mom's age, but she is, I think she's 61 or 62. She's going to be like, I don't even know. I never know my mom's age, but, um, she being a personal trainer, she's a personal trainer for the last 30 oh, years. Right. I so I've it. become my mother. Right. Um, but she, it's so funny with, so with, with technology, I just give you so much credit because my mom gets very overwhelmed because it's just not like, she never even had to think about it was, everything was word of mouth. Like it was like word of mouth. Maybe you sent an email, like it was just so simple, you know, and right. she put all this pressure on herself to be on this and be on that. And you know what I mean? And her, and she's, you know, her priorities are has shifted now in her life where she's got grandkids and she's spending more time taking more sure. days off and, and whatever, which is great, which is great. Cause she's in, she's shifting just like all of us are, but, um, it's just, I would, I would love my mom to be on TikTok. Like I am just like, I'm loving this. So, it's so I, fun. I mean, and that the other thing is when, when we shut down in March, I literally said to myself, all right, I want to do a professional Instagram account and I want a thousand people by next March. And mm -hmm. I'm over a thousand people. So, nice. and that, and that's not a million people. I don't have 10,000 people and it's, it's perfectly fine. Although anybody listening, please follow. Yes. Um, we will link you. Don't you worry. But how, however, I just, to me, that was my passion project. I, and I had somebody help me with like figuring out Canva and how to like, you know, publish and how to make things. And it felt like there's a, a sort of creative space I can get into with that. And it felt really good to me. And if it doesn't feel really good to your mom, then it doesn't feel really good to your mom. But it felt good to me. But so. I love that. But I love that because I think it can just, for anyone, like feel overwhelming. It's like one more platform, one more this, one more that. But it's like, for me, I've always said too, it's like, I pick which ones I I get the most joy out of. And I love right. Instagram and I love my, I've had my blog for 10 years. Like I I'm on there when I can. And it's like, that's good for me, you know? And that's, right. 
and that's just how we show up more of ourselves when we're, we're doing something that aligns with us and makes us feel good. Absolutely. And I'm, a, I'm also, besides a psychologist, I never even said this at the beginning, I'm a certified health coach. And I actually, you know, I keep thinking I should do a blog, I should do a blog, I should do a blog. And you know what? If I haven't done it by saying it in the past five years when I've been a certified health coach, I think the deal is I don't want to do a blog, but I envy that you're yes. doing a blog. If that's amazing. And I keep thinking, do I need a blog if I don't want to do a blog? And the answer is right. no, not unless it really speaks to you. And I think that's the thing, right? It, it's the joy that it brings. Like Instagram yeah. brings me joy. Cool. That's fine. Right. It takes, you know, it takes me a little time in the morning to like, make sure I have everything ready. Boom. Goodbye. Yeah. So I think, I think it really is finding what brings us joy too. That's really important. And this has actually brought me a lot of joy. Casey, you are Yay. absolutely incredible. And oh I gosh, really have enjoyed you. our conversation so much. Jordan was thank right. You. We would love each other. So. Oh my gosh. Of course. Thank you so much. It's, and that's the other thing. It's like, I blogged for 10 years and I've always, I've always been like, like my fingers can't move fast enough for my thoughts. And so for mm. me, it was always, this was my pandemic thing. It was like, I'm, I've been wanting to start a podcast for so long. I'm so much more of a voice person than I am typing. And so mm -hmm. for me, it's like the blog was such a foundation and it was my story and my everything for 10 years. And then how do I now take that and and really find my voice with my voice. And that has always, that was my biggest thing throughout the last year of like, I'm starting this freaking podcast. Like we're doing it. Right. Yeah. And, I and so thinking, you've had some really interesting people on there on, on here. So yeah, like it's been, like I said, it's like selfishly so great. Cause I'm meeting, I love meeting people and connecting people and, and that's my biggest thing. And so the more people we can reach and connect and them get something from you and a piece of the next person and the, and the other person, it's like, that's the beauty of this whole world, right? Like, what yeah. are we doing if we're keeping it all to ourselves? That's my biggest thing. It's like, get it out there. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. Oh my gosh, Robin. Well, I'm going to stop recording, but don't go anywhere, but thank you guys so much for joining Robin. You're amazing. And everyone, um, all of Robin's information will be linked in the show notes to make sure you give her a follow. We'll build that thousand followers up to more than that. And we'll get you, we'll get you, uh, all the recognition you deserve because you are amazing. And I'm so excited to be able to meet you. So thank you, Robin, for being with me today. Thank you. Yay. Yay.